it's just like it's just like close your eyes and pick a number, right? And then just see if people will pay it. This is five hundred million dollars. You want to pay it? Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. Joe, I wanted to build a belt and make it out of watches, but I just figured it'd be a waste of time. (laughs) You know, I actually kind of dig that one. Sometimes I'm not sure where I fall on some of those dad jokes, but I actually really, really like that one, Matt. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I'm just really right now realizing that uh, Pioneer is basically the brawl of standard, right? That is an aggressive way to begin the show, Dana. (laughs) That's a hot take. (laughs) Anyway, I am Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. Everyone, we have the esteemed honor of being joined by a most special guest. He is a connoisseur of content creation. Please welcome Mr. John Dunning. Welcome back, Planeswalkers, to another episode. Oh, I don't have to do that right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for for letting me on here. This is this is weird. Uh, stepping out of the hosting chair for once and just being a, a schlub on the couch. Uh, I appreciate the this opportunity. This is awesome. I, a longtime listener, and and I love all you guys. So this is this is great. Yeah, we are so excited to have you because actually you had us on your show first on your They Said We Said YouTube channel. Yes, uh, that was a, a dream come true having uh, the three of you on t- uh, on the Hive Mind. The Hive Mind, uh, like I, I think we talked a little bit about it uh, about the show off the air, is just I, I owe everything to that show because it, it allowed me so many opportunities, opened so many doors for me in the community because I, I just love the community so much. That's kind of my gig. You know, you guys are very commander centric, which I, I am as well. Uh, or you know, there's arena players and and streamers is the new hotness right now but i like focusing on the community and the and the people and the community members and that show was just such a a great way to to allow me to do that and to and to reach out to great folks like yourself and and like so many others i have in the past i'm kind of being cryptic and speaking about it as past tense because uh, <laughs> officially the the hive mind is on a, a hiatus uh for uh it is my focus is being transferred to other things is kind of breaking news, I guess, uh, for the three oh. people that watch my channel. But um, the the hive mind is going to go on a break, on an indefinite break, and, and I'm focusing more on the live shows and especially uh, all the work that we're putting in with Supreme Verdict, which is uh, the, the community's only live magic debate show. So that's a ton of fun, and that's where my focus is going uh, going forward. Well, I think like, like definitely, Definitely dropping down from six shows a week to just five is probably kind of a nice, <laughs> nice break for for you as well. When, when my kids say, "I don't," who is that guy that's in the corner? Like I'm like, "Oh, there's a problem. I might need to cut a little bit of the fat here." Yeah, I mean, you are kind of the busiest man in magic. Yeah, 
Yeah, you've had a bunch of guests on the Hive Mind. You've had Josh Lee Kwai, you've had us, you have had a bunch of folks, the proxy guy, Cat Light, like really big names on that show. And that's not even the only thing that you do on that show. You've also got other things like Director's Cut. You've just got a whole bunch going on on that channel. So yeah, it's really, really awesome to watch you work. We were really grateful to be uh, invited onto your Hive Mind episode. And we're also really grateful that you agreed to come onto the show with us so that we can talk a little bit about Commander 2. Absolutely. And again, thank you guys for, for coming on onto my channel. It was a ton of fun, a great time. And then also thank you for, for having me now. So I am super stoked to talk Commander with you guys. Awesome. So, you know, just to sort of let our listeners get to know you a little bit in case they haven't come across any of the 9,000 different <laughs> things that you're doing on YouTube, let's just get started with a couple of warm-up questions. For example, how did you get started playing the best format in Magic, Commander? So uh, I, I started playing Magic back in, I think, Tempest was... Okay, so I, I started playing Magic while, while uh, I want to say... Yeah, it was... It was Oh God! What's the name? Oh, Weatherlight. Sorry, Weatherlight was the uh, the the new set that was out. So, but but that was more of like kitchen table and stuff. I started like sitting down at like LGSs and going to F and Ms and stuff. Right around right right after the release of Tempest, that was my first uh, pre release. So you know there wasn't any real commander out then. I, I lived in in Las Vegas at the time, so it wasn't until kind of I left the game and came back when uh, it was M thirteen Innistrad. And uh, right before Return to Ravnica, that, that in my opinion, was the best uh, standard, but we're not here to talk about that. But that was, you know, I, I would show up to the, the F&Ms, the standard F&Ms and drafts, and there would always be that corner table of, a, of a, couple of, a couple of kids, you know, in a circle playing with these very large decks. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it was, it was, it was like this, uh, this speakeasy type thing. And then... You know, that table turned into two, and I, I finally just like, okay, what is going on there? And that's eventually what I just started showing up for. Uh, it was just like, I, I think I built, my very first deck was a, it had to have been Orzov. So I think it was Tesa, um, Little Tesa. And I just had an absolute blast, and I just fell in love with how... I love non-rotating formats. I'm a big modern fan, but I just love that I get to, you know, I'm more of a Johnny Spike, so I love that I get to uh, put all my, everything that I liked about Magic into this giant thing, and it was just a, it's just a different vibe, different flavor of, of, of gameplay. I do like, I do have a competitive spirit, but uh, I just love that kind of, uh, that environment more. Yeah, it's definitely really addicting once you get into it. Do you still have that Tesa deck? What commanders do you play now? Ah, uh, no. Uh, she's unfortunately gone by the wayside as commander decks. Uh, you know, they come and go as they do. I, I think, though, I don't have too many now. I'm, I'm in transition, but uh, I always... I, I, I attack the format usually. Uh, I'm a big tribal person, so uh, I'll always have my Geese and Garof. Uh, that's my favorite uh, zombie tribal. And then I have uh, uh, Daxos, which is a Curses deck, uh, which I did a, uh, a video about. Um, th that one's a lot of fun. I, I, I play some weird wonky, wonky commanders, uh, but I, I like the... Seeing it like I like playing com commander like, I, like it's a challenge, you know? Um, seeing if I can pull off these, these crazy things, uh, where I could lock out someone in a, in a curse lock, which takes, it's so easy to disrupt, but once you do it, it's, you get like the little Xbox achievement sound in your brain. It's wonderful. <laughs> 
It's so funny that you would mention a Daxos curse deck because just yesterday I was at a game store playing with a group of friends and one of them was playing Daxos and they happened to have a small number of curses in that deck. Um, they were off to a blisteringly fast start. They had the Soul Ring into the Signet, into the, you know, turn two commander, a whole bunch of crazy stuff happening, and I just wasn't about that. So when I, playing Feather, got to the point where I could cast a removal spell on my third turn, I Chaos Warped that Daxos, because I just didn't want to deal with what was going on over there. <laughs> I just, any little bit of disruption would help, because it was just like, oh man, I don't want this to get snowballing out of control. Well, I Chaos Warped, which means that they get to put something into play off the top of the deck, mm. after the shuffle and yada yada. Um, they flipped over an Overwhelming Splendor. And you can guess who they enchanted with it, <laughs> the guy who just Chaos Warped the commander. They put that aura curse, that eight mana thing, right onto me. It was like my third turn. And then they turned all of my creatures that I would ever have into one ones with no yep. abilities. They prevented me from being able to use activated abilities unless they were Planeswalker abilities, which I and my Feather deck do not have any Planeswalkers. The entire deck hinges on Feather being a creature with an interesting ability, so that just... On my third turn, I was hoisted by my own petard. So it's so funny that you would mention Daxos Curse deck because I was <laughs> just rendered completely immobile by a Daxos Curse deck literally just yesterday. It, it was nasty. It's so funny, too, because, like, it's such a... Like, people will will let you kind of play around, especially with that. So they'll they'll come with their spy like Breas or, or you know what your your uh, your usual villains, right? And then I'll slap down this Daxo deck and I'll get a curse of death hold. Oh, the, you know whatever, you know, this guy's playing curses. And then that starts, you know, kind of snowballing and then you get the one that, you know, the humility curse and then you do the uh, curse uh, I think it was the curse of uh Death's Hollow or whatever, the one that gives everything minus one, minus one, and then you just don't get creatures anymore, and then it's just not funny anymore for them, and, and that's when I start laughing. I, I'm not a big fan of, like, infinite uh, loops or, or combos or anything like that, and I know, you know, why am I playing Commander then, but I like when it's just, like, this kind of dirtle McTurtle, and then it turns into this this crazy lock, and just like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was a thing. That's, like, my favorite reaction to a deck that I play. That's amazing. Also, Dirtle McTurtle, you need to put that on a t-shirt <laughs> like yesterday. That's delightful. So I want to open the floor up. Matt, Dana, have there been any fun games in your recent Commander Week? I have not got to play, I don't think, since the last time we recorded. So so the answer for me is is a resounding no. <gasps> oh, that's a shame. Matt, anything from you? I did, actually. So I did the most Selesnia of Selesnia things <laughs> ever in my career. So had out a uh, Smothering Tithe, made a bunch of tokens, Cast a finale of devastation for twenty seven, and then I got out. Oh my out. goodness! It gets better. It gets better. Brought out a pathbreaker ibex, and then I attacked. <laughs> I happened to win the game, just in case anybody wasn't quite clear. If you didn't win a game where you immediately put into play a three three that has an ability that turns all of your creatures into overwhelming stampede things when it attacks, that then immediately got haste and plus twenty seven to give all of your creatures not only regular plus twenty seven from the original finale, but then an additional plus thirty from the pathbreaker. Um, if you didn't win that game, I would be astonished. It was the most I've ever done through regular combat damage through without like any special pumps or infinite mana, or whatever, because I had a. Uh, Oh my goodness, I had one Anthem effect out as well. I think I had 13 or 14 creatures. I didn't want to do any math because math is not my specialty despite <laughs> me working in accounting. Um, Yikes. But yeah, so 27 <laughs> plus 27 plus a lot in numbers. And I, I won. That, that's what we need to say is I won. 
Goodness, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's move into our main topic for the show. What are we talking about today, fellas? The main topic is the scariest commanders to play against. Kind of a Halloween theme here. Yeah, yeah. By the time that this show comes out, Halloween will be just around the corner. So we wanted to talk about the things that spook us in our commander games. Before we even get to, you know, the actual discussion of which commanders we find the most frightening, though, I want to ask simply... What makes a commander scary to play against? What actually makes you consider someone the arch enemy, you know, upon arrival? As soon as someone flips over their commander and you see what it is, what is a quality about that commander that would make you afraid of it? I think there's there's two levels to this or the two two angles to answer this up. There's the scary commanders that are scary because they're gonna win. So like that's one aspect of being scary. Something like um, a prosh, for example, is scary because you're like, I'm going to lose the game if I don't keep that deck in check every single turn. Um, but I don't mind that that much. I mean, if you lose the game, you just play another game. The ones I, I guess I would say I find the scariest in that I don't want to have to deal with it would be the 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 ones that control the game or soft lock the game so you can't play magic i would rather lose a game to something scary like prosh than sit there and not play magic for an hour against something scary like grand arbiter so there's two different levels of scary there um one of which is way way worse i I, i'm more afraid of annoying than i am scary i guess (laughs) <laughs> gotcha. John, what's something that makes a commander scary for you? Yeah, I, I, I kind of echo Dana's sentiment. Like, if someone slaps down a Feldegriff, I'm already like, oh, God, like, it's going to be that kind of a night. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, in conversely, it's just like, okay, you put down a Prosh or, or something super spiky or a Bray or something. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm in for. This person knows what they're doing. So they already are putting that target on their back. So, okay. So now we have an established arch enemy, but then you have a a Zedru player and you're just like, Oh, it's so, and Oh, you know, it's so fun. Like, here's my stuff. And Oh, this is great. You know, it's like, uh, it's just, and then it just snowballs and it snowballs. And then it's like, Oh yeah. And and everyone's scooping up their cards. And I'm like, what are we doing? Oh yeah. Well, we lost like 20 turns ago. Well, why the heck are we still playing? You know, it's those kind of like, (laughs) I'm going to waste all your time or or like those, you know, the the Karns and all that. That's when it's just like banging my head against the table. That's why I I, I don't know. I I tend to like more. I I tend to like playing with and playing against more fair decks because I like the whole building. I I like the feeling of building up to something in in a commander game. Yeah, there is definitely that element. A lot of decks have the capacity to snowball, definitely, to really impressive board states. See, beforehand, where Matt mentioned a finale of Devastation for X equals 27. But, like, especially something that has, like, insurmountable speed that makes, like, Mm -hmm. an absolutely meteoric impact on the battlefield as soon as it can just and it just goes off out of nowhere. That's definitely really impressive, but also the stuff that slows you down or that deprives you of resources, that's definitely really really frightening for me as well. That makes me dread the prospect of that game because I just don't know how I'm going to get out of those very sticky situations. Matt, is there anything unique that makes something uh, scary for you when you see it across the table or is it also largely probably within those fears of, you know, how those commanders affect the game? I, I would say it's a combination of all of those. I think the one thing for me that really stands out, though, is just how it warps the game and, and what's going on. Does it kind of make other players stop in their tracks and they have to shift gears? So it suddenly turns into, like like John said, it becomes an arch enemy situation right away because the commander at the battlefield, and there's a couple that I think on my personal list, they definitely do that. They warp the game. You have to address them right away. Otherwise, it's just going to get 
either a snowball of value or just what they're doing is going to get out of control. And I think one thing that a lot of commanders have a reputation for, and, and, and we'll talk about them too, is how are you able to interact with them or the rest of the battlefield with mm-hmm. them around? And I think that's one thing that a lot of commander players, I think, is a it's a pretty common theme, I would say. You know, commander players, they want to play commander to interact, to have those experiences. And that's not to say all that. That's obviously very general. But I do think that a lot of people, they like resource accumulation. They like having all these fun, silly interactions. And so commanders that don't let that happen generally get shunned and are, you know, can be a little scary, I would say. I I definitely agree. Inability to successfully interact with someone else's game plan, strategy, commander, anything like that, that is definitely really frightening. And the commanders that are just real tough to interact with are are kind of rough also like the i i like a lot of the gods uh, whether they be from amonkhet or theros but just some of the ones that are just so powerful and then you can't remove them that's that's the problem it, it, like the scorpion god i have no problem with because you could build a really interesting deck around that and it's not just going to win you know you kind of have to inc- incrementally uh you know poke at, at your opponent's creatures and, and shut it down that way where conversely you put the locust god down and then it or, or even the the scarab god and then it just kind of snowballs really quickly or a perforos and, and that's where it just isn't as fun because you can't there's no great way to interact with with something that's indestructible so it's so funny that you would mention Perforos because if we get into the meat of the topic now where we each discuss our personal list of the three commanders that we are the most afraid of, number one on my list is actually the commander Perforos. <laughs> my number one commander that I'm afraid to see is going to be that mono red god that whenever creatures enter the battlefield under Perforos's control, it deals two damage to everyone else. I am so afraid of seeing that across the table from me precisely because it turns the clock on the game that I expected it cuts it in half, if not into fourths. It is so blisteringly fast, and there's almost no chance that I'll be able to get rid of it, and just completely upsets the entire pace of the game before we've even gotten started. That is a terrifying one for me. So it's funny that you would mention Perforos, because yeah, that resonates very much with me. It's going to make things very, very fast, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to keep up. Well, and with Perforos, you mentioned being unable to interact. Not only is Perforos tough to remove, being a enchantment creature with indestructible, you you know probably need some kind of an exile effect. Assuming it's a creature, which oftentimes those Perforos decks, it never turns into a creature because they're making tokens. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're like, well, I, I hope someone's running Return to Dust or Deglamour or something, or Perforos is there forever. But the the second layer of of uninteractability there is you can't just board wipe away that problem because the damage is being dealt by the creatures coming into play. So it's not even a, right. a situation like, like an elf ball deck where you're like, well, they don't have haste, so I've got to turn to you know maybe top deck a board wipe or something. You're just taking damage. Like you, you, there's, there's just so few ways to respond to that deck that, yeah, I get it. That's really frustrating. Yeah. So Dana, what's on your list? What's the commander that you're afraid to see across the table? One of the ones I will mention is Marisol the Pretender. And this would go into the annoying category. Because I I have to then mentally somehow keep track of that uncommon from Mercadian Masks that you have exiled on it to get one ability, and then you just exile some common from Stronghold, and then a common from you know Fallen Empires, and I need to keep track of those three cards and what abilities you have, and it turns into a soft lock eventually anyway. But it's a soft lock using creature abilities that are just a, a, a real annoying thing to try to like 
remember is happening in the game right now. So it, it's yeah, a deck that, very unfamiliar. Yeah, well, I mean, it creates a, a soft lock, which is you know preventing you from playing sometimes, but it's also just mentally irritating to me. <laughs> Trying to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah. John, how about you? What's one of the scary commanders on your I, list? I, we talked about him a little bit, but Prosh, like I said, I, I, I you kind of know what you're getting against a Prosh deck. It's just like, okay, what round am I going to lose in? Am I going to lose in, you know, turn four, turn five? Maybe that's even too generous for a Prosh deck, a well-tuned Prosh deck. I, I feel like Prosh is, it's just so good it's too good and even if it doesn't have the rest of the 99 supporting it like you could play a prosh deck out of the box and still compete with high level tune decks and i mean that's a cool thing that's that's a great thing for new players because you know for someone that doesn't have the time or just getting into the format you know you could you could crack that open and that was kind of the point for these the, these precon decks, anyways, but I think that just that commander in itself, and you know, you could remove Prosh, but then every time you know it comes back, it's just that much worse. So, I think that <laughs> that's that's the one that's probably the scariest to play against because there's no like there's no getting your bearing, especially if you're playing more of a dirtily game or you're playing more of a controlly game or even a mid range game. It's just like, I, I don't have time to draw into my thing to get rid of all your crap. So uh, it, it's a tough one to play yeah. against. Yeah. That's actually a really key thing that you point out there. Even if you get rid of Prosh, he's already made all of the kobolds when they cast mm -hmm. him, first of all, but also they'll just be able to recast him and make even more kobolds, which they'll then use effects like perforos or impact rammers to take advantage of, or, you know, heaven forbid, a food chain combo or something <laughs> like that. And a friend of mine actually has a Rakdos the Showstopper deck that I also have similar feelings of dread against. It's not on my top list that I'm afraid of that commander necessarily, but I am afraid of getting rid of his commander whenever he has it in play. He will actually himself try and find ways to remove Rakdos from the field so that he can play it again and then use its effect again because it has such a really big impact on the board when he casts it, when it comes in and destroys half of everyone else's stuff. Prosh is definitely right up there because it has a huge effect. It can make seven bodies as soon as it enters. That is terrifying stuff. That is a very, very big impact and it can make even more when it comes back later. Yeah, that's talk about interaction. That's really, really rough. <laughs> All right, Matt, what's on your list? I'm going to stick with the Jund Dragon as well, actually. So I'll build off what John said. I played against a Corvold deck for the first time this weekend, and it was <laughs> incredibly scary, actually. Uh, it was just crazy how the you know the Corvold player could just kind of do a little bit, but got a lot in return. Uh, it took almost zero effort to turn a lot of what they had going on into more value. And then they played a kind of ho-hum card, and they got more value. And then they did a little bit more and they got even more value. And it was just, it was so crazy because we sat down and they said, okay, I, I literally built this deck between dinner and coming to the store. It's just what I had laying around. I haven't bought any cards for it. And it still was just crazy powerful mm -hmm. what they were able to do with just a, a very stock list. And they weren't playing anything super crazy powerful. They weren't playing, you know, Dictative, Erebos and uh, Grave Pact, any effects like that. But just what they were able to do, just recurring things, just Journey to Eternity is amazing in Corvold decks. And just all that incidental little value. And then, oh, by the way, they have a 24-24 Flying Dragon that's going to come after you really quick. It's just, that's, it was... That's the real cherry on top, isn't it? With it was, Corvold, it's... And I don't think the player ever went below five cards in hand. Like, just everything Corvold does and all the text on there 
It just means we had to stop what we were doing. Like there was an Edgar Markov deck at the table getting ready to spew vampires to and fro. But no, we have to watch over this Corvold because Corvold's going to do some very dirty things and we're not going to do very well in this game. So just how well just playing Corvold without doing anything else warped the battlefield was just it, it, it just commanded so much attention right off the bat. Yeah, everything you sacrifice gets him bigger, draws them cards. They can sacrifice lands really easily. They can sacrifice tokens really easily. That thing is its own source of aggressive commander damage and card advantage. That is so much in one card. I would also likewise be afraid of seeing that across the table. Yeah. All right, uh, Dana, I'm going to throw it back to you. What is the number two commander on your list of scary, scary commanders? Grand Arbiter Augustine. Um, and I would also <laughs> kind of throw throw Gaddick Teague in that list right next to him basically just commanders that make it so it's difficult for you to play magic yeah he's the one that taxes other people all of the spells will cost one more but grand arbiter's spells will cost one less yes that's a tiny amount but that adds up a lot and it's not just the commander in those cases it's not just the grand arbiter is really annoying it's that the grand arbiter deck is also running you know h10 counter spells probably and it's also running a bunch of hate bears generally speaking whenever i've played against those decks it's a real tight control strategy and usually the problem with control in commander is you can't control three other players you just don't have enough gas to do it but the spell reduction on grand arbiter and the tax on everybody else makes it way easier to do so and it makes it easy to do it really really slowly over the course of 14 <laughs> or 18 turns of everyone else doing as little as humanly possible as you grind out some sort of chip damage win or eventually draw into a combo or like an approach of the second sun or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If if Perforos cuts the game timer in half, Grand Arbiter doubles it. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it doubles it in a way. It's not just doubling the game. It's doubling the game while limiting what you're doing. I mean, everyone's phones are out because they're just like, well, I'm, you know, <laughs> play my one spell and pass a turn. Um, if I get to play and it doesn't get countered. Yeah, it, it's just it, it leads to a really unfun game state most of the time. Ouch. Yeah, I uh, the same friend that I have who has a, a Rakdos deck, he at one point also had a uh, Grand Arbiter deck, and both of those are pains to play against. I think that I'm a little bit more afraid of the Grand Arbiter deck, though, because it actually might mean that I don't get to play Magic, and that, well, it's yeah. sad, but it's also definitely scary. Definitely scary indeed. John, let's throw it back to you. What's another commander on your list of super scary? Well, one that's not on my list uh, officially, but kind of a, a honorable mention just because Dana made me remember it and this is one that i actually played a lot this is probably my most unfair mean deck was athreos uh and and we're talking about scary i mean there's aesthetically that that guy's looks a little rough uh anyways uh you know uh he's guarding the dead so of course he needs to dress the part but i i again the incremental um it looks so innocuous too i remember everyone was i think athreos was the last god spoiled and everyone, once it came out, and of course I was totally amped for it because uh, being an Orzhov player, and then everyone saw it and they're just like, oh, it's like a Punisher mechanic kind of, but I'm like, no, no, this is this is going to be awesome. And then, like Matt said, you, you put in those uh, Dictative Erebos and Grave Pack things and it just gets out of control really fast. Uh, so it's a, a ton of fun. But uh, the next official one would be Necrosar. Again, it's another one like Prosh where... You're just like, oh, this this is what kind of night we're gonna have. It's it's the opposite of 
a Feldegriff or the the group slug, but it's not it's it's a group slug in a way where you you're not even playing magic. It's like a mixture. It's a horrible like unholy marriage between Grand Arbiter Grand Arbiter where you don't get to play magic and uh, something that you know a, a group slug deck because. It, no one, everyone's constantly tossing their hands in the toilet. Nothing could get settled up. Even the player playing Necrostar doesn't even like playing it. I, you know, I, I don't. I, I, and I was that jerk that that wanted to make it work for so long. I had all the uh, the windmill effects, and I'm just like, I, I, no one here is having fun. So you know, it, it's a it's a cool. I, I'm glad it's one of those cards that I'm glad it exists because another card doesn't do that if that makes sense like for the people the the sadistic mm-hmm. people out there that that enjoy that type of gameplay <laughs> this is the card for you i'm not going to sit at that table because you're weird but i'm still you know glad that it's a thing <laughs> dude there are like 2100 nikusar decks on edh rec and that's after we've done moved to like just the data drawing within the past two years so there used to be even more clearly people like playing it uh, you better watch out because you just called them all sadistic <laughs> 11% of the population are sociopaths, Joey. I mean, that's just oh math. <laughs> that's what? Oh, my it's goodness. just science. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my good. I, I am also, I have good cause to be afraid of a Nikusar deck as well. And actually, just in our previous episode, we were going over threat assessment and different uh, other commanders there, which is kind of what inspired this particular uh, show topic, actually. Um, but, yeah, Dana, you also registered that N- the Nikusar player, regardless of what everyone else was doing, was also going to be the one that draws the most attention for you, too, because of the way that that deck plays out. Yeah, it went out of nowhere. That's something that I always try to deal with because you're just going to lose if you don't. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that went out of nowhere thing is also something that I think ties into my next scary commander, and that's Brea Ethereum Shaper. I am terrified of seeing Brea because I guess really what I can say is that I don't know what she's thinking, and that scares me a little bit. So it's blank eyes. Brea is capable... Yeah, Bray is capable of probably the most number of infinite combos within the game, which means I don't know which one to aim at to try and get rid of, to try and stop off, to try and prevent someone from doing. She might be doing some type of infinite combo thing to get uh, infinite mana to then do infinite damage or gain infinite life or just have a bunch of tokens or something like that. But then there's also a bunch of other stuff that artifacts are capable of doing, even without her being involved in the mix using her sacrifice ability or her token generation. Like, there's just so much that Brea is capable of doing and it involves her sacrificing stuff, which means I won't be able to even exile it if I want to. That is a deeply terrifying prospect, and the sheer infinity nature of her is what makes her so terrifying to me, and that explosiveness that she can do it from basically out of nowhere makes her very, very scary when I see her across the table. I'm not going to call the Brea players sadistic the way that John did, <laughs> but I am going to call them scary. Hey, I, you know, call call a pig a pig. I don't, what do you want me to say? The- <laughs> the, the one defense here, Joey, I will offer of Brea is I would say at least when I lose to a Brea deck, I feel like the person has had to do a bunch of things like they found three or four pieces and put them all together in some combo that wins the game that at least generally tends to make me a little bit less salty or it's a little bit less scarier to me than maybe the Prosh player who I feel like the pieces are just, you, you just need one card of the... Mm-hmm you know, 10 in the deck that just auto win. And it, it, it seems like it much more is much more on rails than most Brea decks, despite the fact that she is undoubtedly crazy, crazy strong. Yeah, very, very much. All right, Matt, who's the number two on your list? 
the number two on my list is one that checks a lot of boxes that we've talked about not being able to interact, not being able to, you know, go about your day because they require so much attention. But Narset Enlightened Master is my next pick. Uh, Narset's a Jeskai commander that has first strike and hex proof, so it's already hard to interact with. But the ability, whenever a Narset attacks, you get to exile the top four cards of your library and then cast non creature spells for free. It just warps so much that's going on. Like, Narset is definitely one of those commanders, kind of like what Dana thinks of Nekusar, where once she hits the board, the, the game just is going to end very, you know, very quickly. Uh, you may not get another untap step. It's either you have to counter Narset or find a way to to get rid of Narset before that first attack step because you may not ever get to do anything else because they are taking those turns. You know, you look at the average Narset deck, it's a lot of solitaire. And I am very guilty. I used to have a, a Narset deck myself and it was solitaire. It was, I'm going to exile all of your permanents with Karn and I'm going to wipe the board with you know, Ugin the Spirit Dragon and do all these crazy things and cast time stretches for free. Narset is just very not fun to go against because she does so many things that are so hard to interact with. And it's just, if you maybe pick off one extra turn spell, you might stand a chance, but the odds are very, very slim that that's going to happen. I do want to kind of delineate thing. You mentioned not fun in the case of Narset, but not all of the examples that, you know, we'll draw up on here are necessarily commanders that we think aren't fun. We're just terrified to see them because it means that we're just going to have to completely alter what we were planning on doing in a way that not, you know, necessarily every commander we see is going to completely terrify us. So, like, there is kind of, you do run into commanders that have strategies that maybe, you know, make it a little bit more aggravating or something like that and make it sometimes can create a frustrating experience. But also some of these, like, I'm not necessarily going to be or something if I see a Brea across the table, but I am going to keep my eye on her. That's definitely what I'm going to do because just she's yes, capable definitely. And of so much. Yeah, like I said, I had a Narset deck of myself and sometimes it is powerful to, you know, turn those dials up on the power level a little bit. And that's kind of where Narset makes her home is if you guys are trying to do something super crazy powerful with your play group, then Narset's a great option. It's just something that, you know, you probably want to be playing commanders that are equally as scary to go against Otherwise, your play group, there might be a little bit of an imbalance unless you like having that imbalance and you like being the arch enemy because a lot of these commanders are a good way to do that because just the way they impact the board, if your play group is doing some threat assessment like we did last week, they're probably going to identify Narset as something that needs to be addressed pretty quickly. Yeah, the, the phrase, why is everyone attacking me, is one that Narset player should never, <laughs> ever un- utter in sincerity. Like, no. <laughs> That's just what's going to be happening, and you need to be ready for it. <laughs> All right, that was really funny. Uh, Dana, <laughs> sort of dovetailing off that, do you want to hit us up with your third and final pick on your scary commanders list? Um, my last pick is General Tazri, but you could also probably lump Captain Sissa in here or even Yassan, Wanderer Bard, and that would be any of those commanders that have a tutor ability. Um, mm. n- number one, because they tend to play pretty linearly, they, they they go for the same target, which is usually a target that then chains into a win. So you're comboing uh, a commander that is going to do that one thing and probably have a really good chance to just win the game off doing that thing. And it's also a commander that's going to do the same thing every single time. So it doesn't always lend itself to the most interesting experience to play against. So I just have to, I, like, I feel like when you're sitting down and you're seeing a Sissé there or seeing that Tazri there, 
you kind of can't let the person, you know, get their commander successfully firing off that ability, or you're probably going to lose. There's a, a bit of a Narsa thing going on there, or the, the Nekizar thing we talked about, where if you play Magic, I'm just going to lose the game, so I kind of have to keep you from playing Magic. Yeah, man, I can't believe myself, but General Tazri is a commander that I just did not give the time of day when I first saw that card. It was just like, oh, it searches as an ally, and then it's got this weird activated ability. I'm not really sure that I'm afraid of that. <laughs> Allies are cute from Zendikar, but they don't have that much of a big impact on the board, do they? Well, then I played against General Tazri, and someone used a right of replication on their Halimar Excavator, which milled everyone else out with so much math that I couldn't even do it. It felt like Matt... Where he just like, math? No, I can't do that math. It was just so many triggers that I just really completely underestimated. It, it, it got really, really, really gross really fast. And the tutor ability on that, I can definitely see why that's so terrifying. Because it means that they've got a plan and they're going to go do it. Well, and, and if they don't have a plan, then they're just somebody who's tutoring every turn, which isn't a lot of fun to play right. against either. That can also be a lot. Yeah. If you're playing a five-color deck, you're going to you. be tutoring with your lands, too. So it's just like you're constantly right, just shuffling right. the entire time. John, let's throw it back to you. Who's the number three on so your this list? this one is more of a personal pick, and I don't think a lot of people would agree with me, but I had this guy named Brian in my play group back in Vegas, and he had – I knew I was in trouble when he slaps down, you know, turn one, he slaps down a, a, a beta – Island signed by Mark Poole. I'm like, oh God, like this person is very invested <laughs> in this thing that he's making. And so, and the, like, as soon as he, he starts playing and, and shuffling up and, and everything, you know, this was my first time at this play group. And I look around and everyone's like, oh God, here we go. And I'm like, oh geez, like what's going on? And, and this is the Maelstrom Wonder. And this is just post-traumatic stress from playing against this particular deck <laughs> because Maelstrom Wonder, conversely, arguably is a fair deck right it's not but you know cascade cascade again all your all your creatures are, are fast and have hasties uh, you know it's a seven five so it's just like this is the epitome of a snowball like the, the maelstrom wonder is a snowball it, cascading is snowballing it, it, it's just such incremental things and, and everyone like you all have to like sit around and, and just have like gentlemen agreements even with your enemies just like we can't let the maelstrom wonder player live past turn 20 because then it just then you're just doing the biggest things over and over again all the time and, and probably conversely like turn 10 you shouldn't let them live it just looks like the mana cost on it is so crazy and it's like you know there's no evasion there's no reason you can't remove it but like just play against a real tuned up maelstrom wonder deck and you're just like oh this is what edh can do like you're in the the right uh color combo to ramp to have just crazy big creatures and you have blue there too to kind of back that all up it's just it's an insane deck to play against and, and it's it's really an experience and one of the really insane things about Maelstrom Wanderer, too, is that the cascaded spells resolve before Maelstrom Wanderer actually resolves. <laughs> so if they cascade into something like a Jokel Hops or something like that, which gets rid of everything in play, and then the Maelstrom Wanderer is the thing that hits the field, mm -hmm. it'll be the only thing in play because all the lands are gone and the artifacts are gone and the creatures are gone. And then Maelstrom Wanderer is like, I've got seven power and haste. I'll deal seven to you and then to you and then you and then you. And then you're just stuck commander damaged out of the game because Maelstrom Wanderer got 
rid of all of your stuff and is blisteringly fast. It makes I've played the against whole that table, one too, and it definitely resonates. It makes the whole table feel like chumps. We're just like, how did we just lose against this thing <laughs> that costs like nine mana or whatever? It's like, there's no way that we should have just let this happen, but we did, and there was nothing we could do against it. Well, and, yeah. and it has that same Perforos problem too, where, again, uh, how do you stop that from happening the way the Cascade triggers work? Because it because it's on a cast, it's not like you can just stop the commander from coming into play. They want to recast it to get it again anyway. So it's not like removal is really an option. So it's the kind of thing that becomes really really challenging to keep from having it go off all game mm-hmm. long. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Matt, you're number three. Hit us up. So my number three, actually, it's it's fairly physically intimidating. It's it's pretty gross looking. It's pretty scary. But uh, the Gitrog monster is my third <laughs> one. Uh, the Git, ah, yeah. the Gitfrog, if you will. Um, I mean, he has like an arm dingle dangling from his from his mouth. Mm. Um, pretty spooky. But statistically, we we did some analysis a while back, and we found that Gitrog monster decks were the had the most overlap and were statistically the least variance based commander deck in the database of all the decks that we see. And what we saw in that average deck list was not very polite either. Uh, There was a lot of land destruction. (laughs) There was a lot of just grind out, just blow up everything, then, you know, happen to have a combo finish. So Gitrog monsters just tend to be built very cutthroat. And just, that's another one of those commanders that they demand your attention because if you don't take care of what's going on there, you know, the Gitrog monster, they sacrifice lands and draw cards because they sacrifice lands, but they're playing extra lands, but then they also just keep drawing cards because they're sacrificing those lands. So they accrue so many resources themselves, but they also have a tendency to make sure you don't get any resources because they're playing wasteland and strip mines and making sure that you don't have very many resources in play. So how they just navigate the the typical game, if you look at the average deck list, it means they are going to make sure that they have more resources from you because you don't have any resources yourself. Uh, and so just and, that type of gameplay, just, man, it's it's hard to, to move forward a regular game plan if you uh, want to play, you know, any any spells because you need your, your mana to do that. Yeah. Gitrog is one of those decks, too, that runs Kozilek, the Great Distortion, not with the intent of ever casting Kozilek, but with the intent of it winding up in the graveyard so that they can shuffle their graveyard back into the library to continue comboing by putting more lands into the graveyard so that they can draw more cards and get more cards in hand and then continue combos that way so that they don't deck themselves out. That's how much they will draw with the Gitrog trigger effect when they're doing those types of combos. Definitely a scary thing when they're playing an Eldrazi, not to hit you with it, but to continue a combo. That can definitely, definitely be terrifying. Uh, Last one on my list. It doesn't have a name, but I'm just sort of calling it that one obscure commander you've never seen in your life, but they're wielding it with a lot of confidence and bravado, which means they probably know some weird combo <laughs> that you don't know how to prevent. Like, that's just a whole... I, I don't know. Every so often, someone will sit down with something I've just never heard of, like Asmira Holy Avenger, or when someone flips over an Axelrod Gunnarsson, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what this is. This is a very obscure thing that was printed probably before I was born, which means I don't know what you're doing, which means I don't know how to stop it. So that just makes them very, very wary in my eyes. I mean, let, let's be real. Embercleave was printed before you were born, so... <laughs> <laughs> John, in case you don't know, Matt loves to make jokes about my age at my expense. It has become a time-honored tradition. He also tells dad jokes, even though he's not a dad, so we're weird on this show is the main takeaway. <laughs> so, so, Joe, you're trying to tell me that you wouldn't trust me when I slap down my Tesa uh, Envoy of Ghost decks? That's Big Booty Tesa? 
Come on. At least I've heard of that one. But no though. one plays like, it. But that's, it, that's it, it makes thing. for such a fun deck. I, I am totally in that that bucket of, of people that you're kind of uh, odd with because, yeah, I, I love, like, where else can you have a seven casting cost commander that everyone has just, like, written off, but then you just throw, everything's a rattlesnake, everything's an entangler, and you just, f- like, funnel everything into her, and then it, she has protection from creatures, so then you, you just have this, like, clear path to victory. It's, it's so much fun. I love decks like that where it's just like, God, that is the worst like why are you playing that and then it, and then they're saying that while they're shuffling up uh, for game two <laughs> here's actually the thing that sort of strikes me i mean we just listed off three commanders that we're afraid of seeing across the table but multiple times it was noted that we've personally built these commanders before <laughs> like john you mentioned you've had a nikosar yeah. deck i have actually had a gitrog deck before before i turned it into lord Windgrace. uh matt i think you said that you had one of the commanders on your list as well i uh, can't remember i th- narset it was narset that's right so like these are actually commanders that we've played before so again it's not to cast judgment on the people who play these commanders it's just that we've seen what they can do and that makes us just shaken in our boots because of how scary we know they keep can your be. friends close your I enemies however- closer I'm well adjusted. <laughs> oh, have you not built any of the commanders you're you're afraid of? Um, I don't think so. Not yet. No, no one's mentioned anything that I've built. So, not yet. That's not the operative word. He's yeah. taking notes right, tonight. Right. Yeah. Alrighty, so now I actually kind of want to move into something a bit more on the Halloween theme. We talked about commanders that we're afraid of mechanically, but what about the scariest looking commanders? What are the commanders that have art that scares us visually? Get in the Halloween spirit, guys. What is a commander whose art freaks you out? The first one I will mention, um, and, and I like the art, but it's absolutely creepy, and that's God Eternal Kefnet. Mm. And it's, it's, oh, the it's skeleton the, bird? The skeleton bird. There, there's a lot of like Plague Doctor vibe going on, and Plague Doctors are absolutely terrifying. Um, it's a great piece of art, and it looks super cool, and it's ridiculously creepy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, skeleton birds. Although, I gotta say, that one doesn't get to me quite as much as Aminatu the Fate Shifter. Seb McKinnon does a lot of fantastic work, but none of them leave me as unsettled as Aminatu's eyes. Just her eyes staring deep within the recesses of my soul. Seeing that one across the table, she's always looking at me, you guys. No matter which way I turn, it's like one of those paintings. No matter where you are, if you go left or right, she's always staring right at you. She knows exactly. The silence in that card is definitely like Seb McKinnon captured the sound of silence and not the not the song, but the actual. (laughs) you know devoid of sound feeling in that card's art so well i mean one of my that's an old simon and garfunkel tune from well before you were born we'll explain it to you later on thank you very much (laughs) simon and garfunkel is one of my favorite music music artists how dare you assume i don't we'll tell you when you're 12 age jokes come from all sides this episode (laughs) (laughs) all right john what is a commander that visually freaks you out what is something that you'd be afraid to see on halloween Uh, chandler from homeworlds i mean he looks just (laughs) like chandler from friends he looks just like matthew perry It's creepy how how uh, accurate. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say Child of Alara. I mean, it's a ghost baby with a skeleton arm coming out of the ground. What the expletive? <laughs> it's terrible. I, I'm a father of four, and if any of those my children were birthed like that, I would mm. throw them back. Oh my goodness! I, in the words of Ariana Grande, was- thanks. Next, next. I was not prepared for that. Matt, can you please tell us a commander you're afraid of? 
So I, my, the commander I'm afraid of probably is going to be Cedrus the Traitor King, just on account that he looks like the bass player from Guar. <laughs> he just he's got the big horns, getting ready to like slap some bass. It looks like you, you see him at some festival and just oh, that's I'm going to walk on this side of the street right now. Man, just everything that's going on there. He's got the big zombie long teeth. Everything going on there, man. It's it's pretty gnarly to see. And he, I mean, yeah, just. His massive, I don't know if it's a staff or a mace or what, but it looks like he's holding it down around like base waist level even. So when he starts like kicking some mad licks at you, you better watch out. (laughs) Goodness, this was the best question I've ever asked. I'm so glad we're doing this show, you guys. I've got one more commander that visually freaks me out that I find like actually unsettling, and that's Ishkana Graf Widow because it is a legendary spider. And I know that the entire deck is going to be full of spiders, and I don't want a deck that is full of spiders. I do not want spiders here. Please no, please no. I know that people wanted their spider tribal, but just please know. That's another one that really gets me. Any other scary-looking commanders for you guys that get you into the Halloween spirit? Autumn Willow. <laughs> <laughs> so normal. But no, she, she looks like I'm a nice lady. I'm afraid of Sigarda, you guys. Come on. Because you're terrified of farmer's markets, Matt? <laughs> I, I am. Like a real answer to this question, probably Elish Norn. I mean, she looks just like a Cenobite straight yeah. out of Hellraiser. I mean, that's... You know, mm-hmm. not having skin but porcelain instead, that's that's pretty messed up. I think Kirik falls into that Hellraiser yeah. vibe too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Actual definitely, pinhead. definitely. Dana, any ones from you? Um, no, I think you guys covered them all. That's everything for me. Are you trying to flex right now and say, no, I'm not scared of anything. Art doesn't creep um, me no, out. You guys are babies. Ma- well, Is that you know, what you're trying I, to do right I, now? I, I, I mentioned as a commander I, I don't like to play against, but um, Marisil, the Pretender, is also some pretty creepy mm-hmm. art for sure. Yeah, it's just Dana the just right level nightmares. of camp and creep. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw one more out there: Hadzer the Abbot. Yeah, <laughs> out, of, out of Homelands. Yeah. See Homelands because the because the guy very like it's very clearly a body that no longer has a brain in it. It's it's just an empty husk of an old dying man. It's sad and really really creepy. Yeah. Experimental crash. There's no the shampoo Abbot. that's going to get rid of that thing. Yeah. Wow, that is one of those commanders, again, that I've never heard of. So if I see it across the table, they're going to be doing something weird and combo-y that I don't know how to prevent. So that scares me, too, on that front as well. (laughs) All right, now that we're done talking about the scary things, let's move on to challenge some statistics. There are a lot of stats here on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with them. Sometimes we think that cards are more or less popular than we think that they ought to be. So we like to challenge those stats here on this segment. Matt, you want to hit us up with your challenge this week? I sure can. So my challenge stats is going to come from Corvold decks. I played against one this weekend. I talked about how spoopy they are. So I'm going to challenge the stats in these decks too. So Corvold is currently being played in 491 decks. And there aren't very many at all. It's not showing up on the page at all. I have two actually. I have a double whammy for you. It's Icker Wellspring and Mycosynth Wellspring. So both of those cards are played in less than 5,000 decks uh, each. But Mycosynth Wellspring is an artifact for two that says when it enters the battlefield or is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may search your library for basic land, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. It's currently being played in 3,500 decks. And then Icker Wellspring is kind of the same thing. It is a two-mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield or is put in the graveyard from the battlefield, you draw a card. Currently being played in uh, 5,300 decks. But that's not very many. It doesn't show up on the page at all, and they're basically artifacts that you want to sacrifice and Corvold makes you sacrifice things. So why not sacrifice things when, you know, you want to sacrifice those artifacts? So Corvold decks, they're all about accruing value. 
getting just so much that you just can't keep up. And and those two artifacts are two very good ones that feed into what Corvold is doing whenever he makes you sacrifice a permanent, put a counter on him, and then you draw a card. I mean, you sacrifice uh, one of the Wellsprings, you draw an extra card or you put a land into your hand. It's it's free ramp, basically. So both of those artifacts are not showing up on the page at all for Corvold, and I think that is dead, dead wrong. That's a really interesting one. Usually you see them in artifact-centric strategies, but Corvold gives you that sacrifice outlet, so I can totally see the extra value there. Absolutely. My challenge this week is going to be in a Feather the Redeemed deck. I mean, it is kind of just a card in general that I think that people should be playing, but it is really, really darn good here, too. I'm talking about Pyroblast. This is the one-mana instant that will counter target spell if it's blue or destroy target permanent if it's blue. That is such an off-the-wall thing that people do not expect. Who expects someone to get their Cyclonic Rift countered by a single red mana? I tell you what, absolutely no one. There are actually two cards in this camp. There's Pyroblast and there's Red Elemental Blast. Red Elemental Blast is basically the same, but it has a slightly different wording, which can be important. Red Elemental Blast destroys a blue permanent or counters a blue spell. And that actually kind of can matter, because you can cast the Pyroblast on something that isn't actually blue, in case you need the spell trigger. One of the reasons I think it would be so good in a Feather deck is because she runs Sunforger in about 75% of her decks, and being able to go fetch up a counter-target Cyclonic Rift or counter-target counter-spell effect with a Sunforger whenever you need it, that's really, really powerful. But beyond that, Feather is also really famous for running things like Gutter Snipe or Young Pyromancer, Electrostatic Field, uh, Monastery Mentor, all these things that trigger off of casting spells. So you can actually use that Pyroblast, target one of your own things. It won't destroy it, but you can still target your own creature. It won't destroy it because it's not blue, and then you can put that spell back in your hand, and that can be a really clean way to get a lot of extra spell triggers. So even if you don't have a blue opponent that you can use the Pyroblast against, you still have a use for that spell. It's a great out-of-left-field thing for people to do to get rid of a really scary blue spell, and it's a great way to get some extra storm triggers off with those electrostatic field effects too. It's done great work for me in Feather, but only 100 people so far are playing it in Feather decks out of her nearly 1,400 decks, so I'm challenging that one. I think that it should see way more play for Feather because of all those different cool uses. All right, Dana, what's your challenge? Uh, my challenge is a card from Dissension called Elemental Resonance. It is an aura for four mana, two green, green that says, At the beginning of your pre combat main phase, add mana equal to enchanted permanence mana cost to your mana pool. And I think this is underplayed in both Ural decks and Sagarda Host of Hurons decks. It's only in 231 decks total, just f- from you know, the beginning, but in those decks where it's really difficult to interact with a commander who would be wearing that aura and the deck tends to also want to run as many auras as possible. Sagarda's oftentimes an enchantress deck and Ural definitely is because Ural himself gets plus two, plus two off enchantments. Um, you know, you could be running a Gilded Lotus that just makes you mana for ramp, or you could run Elemental Resonance that's going to be much harder to remove as it's attached to this, this Hexproof Commander it's going to also fuel your ancestral mask and your ethereal armor, and it's going to get you five mana every every single turn without having to uh, tap it or do anything. It's just going to make that mana from the get-go. So I, I don't think it wants to be in a ton of decks, but I think in a deck where your commander is difficult to remove, like Sagarda or Ural or maybe even something like Crufix, if you're playing uh, you know, an enchantment 
deck using Crufix or something because it is indestructible, I think that's a really, really solid card, and it should be in more than 231 decks. Man, I really like this one. This is a card I just completely forgot existed. I played back in Original Ravnica, and I just don't even remember this one very well. Talk about scary artwork, though. Elemental Resonance has some creepy-looking artwork, too. (laughs) All right, John, you want to hit us up with your challenge to round it out? Yeah, so I don't have any like stats behind my pick, and mine's actually what I feel is an underplayed and underutilized commander. And what me personally, when I am building a, a a new commander deck, I tend to get my inspiration from from movies because I'm I review movies and you know I'm very cinematically focused. And I just got done watching uh, with my son the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and that is a fantastic watch uh, for anyone that's uh, Jim Henson or Dark Crystal fans. Uh, they, this is a perfect uh, series. It, it was just, it, it couldn't have been better than if Jim Henson got reanimated uh, and the, such poor taste, but he came back and actually, you know, directed it himself. But anyways, so I am inspired to bring back uh, my Sadisi Brew Tyrant deck. And I think that, because you know, I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, what What commander is like a Skeksis? I want a Chamberlain deck. And I think that the, like, Sadisi Brew Tyrant, yes, she's a Naga Shaman. I wish there was, like, a, a bird reptile or something. I'm sure if you look down the the is it, or the uh, Simic legendary creature there might be but i don't have time to look at that i i know i like sadisi bro uh, brew tyrant forecasting costs one uh black green blue for a three three whenever uh sadisi brew tyrant enters the battlefield or attacks put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard whenever one or more creature cards are put into your graveyard from your library put a two two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield so you it's a self mill zombie horde deck uh you put mesmoric orb in here and it gets really crazy really fast it's a ton of fun because you put yourself on this weird clock of am I going to mill myself out or am I going to set myself up for for these huge, huge plays? And even if it kind of sputters out or they get rid of one of your, your big integral pieces, then you're still going to have it, – it still you know kind of boils down to being a zombie tribal deck as well. And I, like I said before, I love my uh, Gisun Garof deck, and I think that is – the best pure zombie tribal commander, but adding green brings out a whole other element. You got a lot of the uh, like the Ravnica and RTR trolls, uh, zombie trolls that you could add. Uh, you know, adding a lot of the the Golgari to it, uh, not just having a, a strictly Demir zombie list. It's just a ton of fun, and I don't like. I, I never played against anyone that that had a Sadisi Brew Tyrant deck, and I wondered why. And you, yeah, there's there's other commanders that if you want to get real spiky, you could just do like uh, Ghoul Caller Gisa or something like that. If you if you are going tribal and especially going zombie, there are I guess faster ways to victory. But if you just want to have a really great time and, and a kind of unconventional time, uh, I think this is this is one that you should definitely look into and definitely pick up so my instinct here is to kind of like josh around with you a little bit because sadisi brood tyrant is the third most popular sultai commander and like the 27th most popular commander like ever so i'm kind of like oh you know come on that's (laughs) not really seeing not enough play there's 1600 decks for sadisi but at the same time like 
third most popular of the Sultai commanders, and Yarok the Desecrated is already rising in the ranks mm -hmm. despite its recency, and it's got 1,100 decks to its name, which means Sadisi is technically going to be moving down that list. So other things like Muldrotha, Tassiger, and Yarok are kind of co-opting the space that she used to inhabit near the top of that list. So, like, technically there's room for her to improve, but she's also, like, pretty near the top already. It is a, definitely a, a frightening thing to behold there. Yeah, too. absolutely. And, you know, I, I came from, I, I was playing more of the, the old school, like, Mimeoplasm decks, and uh, yeah, yeah Mimeo they're my great. boy. And then, uh, but I, I never played, you know, statistics or whatever. I, I played in some pretty big groups in a couple different states. I never sat across the table from a CDC deck, and I always wondered why. But I guess I'm just not in the right boroughs. <laughs> Or are you in exactly the right burrows? Because Sadisi is also one of those commanders that looks pretty darn scary when you start analyzing her artwork. <laughs> At least she doesn't wind up like a necklace like the other guy. Oh, yeah. like Tassiger? Yeah. That, oh, man, talk about scary things. That's a great piece to wear for Halloween there, folks. Get yourself a Tassiger necklace. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up, John, I just want to give you the opportunity to also mention where folks can find you. What are your social com uh, media coordinates? What are the different avenues that folks can find your content? Absolutely. Uh, again, thank you three so much for inviting me on. This was a ton of fun, an absolute dream come true. This this is crazy. Like uh, being on EDH Rec uh, podcast is is just amazing. So thank, thank you all uh, for allowing me to be here. Uh, you could find me, uh, you could talk movies or magic with me. I have kind of a 50-50 YouTube channel. Um, you could find that on YouTube at They Said We Said or find me on Twitter is the best place to reach me at Orzov Done. But uh, I, I don't think we broke the news yet. You guys are actually, or at least some of you are actually returning to the channel very soon next month. Uh, the, the the second team battle for Supreme Verdict, which is the the live uh, debate show, and it's going to be Team EDH Rec versus uh, Team Jake and Joel are Magic, and uh, who who are the three? I'll let you guys uh, say who's going to compete in that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was so much fun to be on your Hive Mind episode two, which happened a couple of months back. So that was just a great experience too. Don't worry, listeners, we'll put that link into the show notes for you as well. Um, yeah, it will definitely be me. And as I understand it, Matt, you will be joining as well. I will. I'll be making my return to the Supreme Verdict. I didn't do as well as I liked. I had I came into a uh, immovable object in Jason Alt and his debate <laughs> skills. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun enough that... Uh, when, when John offered, I did not hesitate to say, yes, let me find a partner. And, and, and Joey stepped up to the plate with me. Yeah, it's so much fun. John, you put out so much content, including the Director's Cut series with aforementioned Jason Alt there, too. There's so much happening on your channel that, folks, we definitely recommend you checking it out because of just the sheer amount of cool stuff that is going on over there on the They Said We Said YouTube channel. For now, though, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So not only do I want to thank you, John, for coming onto the show with us, but I also want to thank my co-hosts for joining me as well. If any of our listeners would like to get in touch with one of us, where can they find us all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norton. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. Follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. And to our listeners, we'd love to know which commanders scare you the most when you see them across the table. And is it because of how they play and their strategy, or is it because they have some creepy, creepy artwork 
Network. What are you most afraid of this Halloween? Let us know. This cast is posted every week on EDHR's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Have a good Halloween, everyone. We actually have, we actually have an, we have an early podcast, John, where um, throughout the course of the show, Matt attempts to sprinkle as many Nickelback <laughs> lyrics into his answers that. to questions I as possible. About that. I did I so well, and I throw as many Avril Lavigne things into that into the same show as possible. Oh no, I'd forgotten about that, and now I'm worried that you'll reprise it. <laughs> I, want, I want to be retrospectively fitted into that show, but for me, Barry Manilow. <laughs> At this point, I think our audience is... We, we have an actual audience. I don't know if we can get away Fine. with It's like playing the Meow game from Super Troopers, but with horrible musical reference. Oh, I'm keen. I mean, Dana, Dana did go and make things pretty complicated. So.